0: We're going to start our Bible study tonight in uh, the book of Colossians. We're going to read the first two verses as we begin. So you can either uh, read along up on the screen or if you have uh, a Bible with you, you can read out of your Bible or your phone or your tablet or whatever you have. But we're beginning to study in Colossians. And just titling this, this study, All in Him, because the message of Colossians is about how everything we find is in Him. Everything we need is in Him. It's all in Him. And that's, to me, a comforting thing. And we used to sing a song about that. We're not going to sing it tonight, but just look up the hymnal of All in Him. It's a good song. It reminds us that everything we need is in Jesus Christ. So as we begin tonight, Colossians uh, chapter 1 and verse 1 through 2, I'm not quite sure why the easy worship sign is on there, it might need an update or something, but I guess we just have to suffer through uh, seeing that in the background, so I apologize for that. Maybe some of you are not as OCD as me, and it won't bother you, but if you are, just think of it as a grace builder and uh, teaching us some patience. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. So we find in the very beginning, the author of this book is Paul. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he's writing to them by the will of God. And Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace. Seems to be a little theme tonight. We need grace. We need peace, and it comes from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This word and could also be interpreted even. From God our Father, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Uh, The church at Colossae was one of three cities located about 100 miles inland from Ephesus. Brother John, if you don't mind showing the map uh, it should be in the PowerPoint presentation uh, with Easy Worship in the background. But you can see there uh, how some of the churches that we hear about in the Bible and their location, Ephesus and Colossae were within 100 miles of each other in what was Asia Minor. And then Tarsus, if you see off to the right of Colossae, was where Paul was from, you remember? He was called Saul of Tarsus. So uh, Colossae wasn't too far from where um, Paul came from, and about 100 miles from, uh, from Ephesus to Colossae, it looks like about the same distance to Tarsus, which 100 miles nowadays is about an hour and a half drive, <laughs> but in those days it took a little longer to get there. <laughs> there wasn't something you did in a day or a week, I don't know how long it would take, but quite a while. It was a wealthy cosmopolitan area. All kinds of religion and philosophy were represented. There was even a large Jewish colony right in Colossae. It was a fertile breeding ground for heresy. (laughs) That is false doctrine. But Colossae never would have been mentioned in the New Testament had it not been for the powerful church there. It wasn't mentioned because of its prominence in the natural realm. But because it was a powerful apostolic church. Paul didn't start this church, however. He never even visited it. But he heard of their faith, which we'll read about in a couple of verses. He heard of their faith, and he wrote this letter upon hearing of their faith. This church was an outgrowth of Paul's ministry in Ephesus, and there was such a powerful move of God that it impacted the whole region. We're going to turn to Acts 19 to see how Paul's ministry in Ephesus began and how it led to this church being birthed in Colossae. Acts chapter 19 and verse 1. It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper coast came to Ephesus. And that's where we get the book of Anybody want to guess? Ephesians. Ephesians. Very good. And finding certain disciples. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? So again, these are men that are disciples. We find out they're disciples of John. And he asked them if they received the Holy Ghost. Now, people today think as soon as you believe, you receive the Holy Ghost. Some people believe that. But I would ask what this Scripture would, would mean to them. These men believed, yet they had not received the Holy Ghost. And we'll find out why in just a moment. Because they said unto Him, We have not even heard there be any Holy Ghost. <laughs> hey, we believe in the message we were preached, but we don't even know about the Holy Ghost. So evidently, believing and following doesn't automatically believe you received the Holy Ghost. That's why it's important we teach people about it. We're not trying to be dogmatic. We're not trying to put anybody down. We're not trying to make anybody feel bad. We're just trying to teach them what is available to them through Jesus Christ. I don't want anybody in this church to feel bad if they have not received the Holy Ghost yet. We're not making fun of them. (laughs) We're not saying, I'm better than you. We're just saying, keep trying because God wants to give it to you. Keep seeking after the Lord. He's going to give you the gift. Some people seek for years. Some people seek for a few moments. But it is important that we receive the Holy Ghost. In verse 3, Paul said to these disciples in response to them saying, we've never heard about the Holy Ghost. He said, unto what then were you baptized? His next question is, how were you baptized? Baptized? Again, we don't try to be dogmatic about it. We're not trying to be rude. We're not trying to be better. But it's an important question. If you never heard about receiving the Holy Ghost, how were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then Paul said, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance. Because that's what John did. He came and he taught repentance to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. Saying unto the people that you should believe on him. Which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Because he's illustrating to them. Okay you believed in the message of John. But John was just preparing you to believe in Jesus. And now if you believe in Jesus. You should be baptized into Jesus. Right? So again this is not a man made doctrine. It's not something. We're trying to do just to be different. (laughs) It's okay sometimes to try to be different. But when it comes to the doctrine of the word of God. I don't want to be different. I want to be the same. And so they they baptized them. Unto the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands upon them. After baptizing them. The Holy Ghost came on them. And they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. So just like when it started with Jesus. He picked twelve. For some reason, when Paul preached to these disciples, there was about 12. And these men uh, in Ephesus were probably the first converts of that church. And that church grew to some say to about 50 to 70,000 people. It was a pretty big church in Ephesus. And a couple of verses later in Acts 19.10. It says, this continued by the space of two years. So that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So Paul continued to minister there. And people continued to obey the message and be baptized in Jesus' name, be filled with the Holy Ghost. And for two years this went on and it resulted in people in Asia hearing the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So, Epaphras was actually the disciple of Paul, possibly one of these first twelve, who started the church in Colossae. He was converted in Ephesus and he returned to Colossae and ministered in, also in Hierapolis and Laodicea. And when false doctrine started to threaten this young church, he traveled to Rome where Paul was in prison. Okay, Epaphras leaves Ephesus. He starts this church and as a young church, false teachers come and start teaching things that shouldn't be taught. So he travels to Rome where Paul is in prison. And Paul sent this letter back to the church in Colossae. This was Paul's response to false teaching. And what was this false teaching? It was a, quote, blended message part Christianity, part Jewish legalism, part Eastern philosophy, and part Gnosticism. They created their own brand of spirituality. (laughs) They put a whole bunch of stuff together and made their own thing, denying the truth of God's Word. The Apostles' Doctrine that was delivered by Jesus Christ to the Apostles. And that's kind of what people try to do today. They try to... They try to call it Christian, and then they sometimes blend all these other philosophies in with it. And they mix all these different religions together, and they say, This is good. It's not good. (laughs) If it takes away from our Christianity. Now, if we can do something, and it doesn't take away from our relationship with Jesus Christ, great, more power to us. I'm not saying we can't do things that are different. But if it takes away from Christ, it's a problem. So these false teachers would not deny the importance of Jesus Christ. But they would dethrone him in a sense because they would not give him preeminence. They gave Jesus prominence, but not preeminence. Just like there are several religions that say Jesus was a good teacher. Jesus was even sent from God. But they deny that he was fully God and fully man. They don't give Jesus the the authority he deserves. Does that make sense? They say he's a created being and he's not really God in the flesh or whatever. They agree that he's important, but they don't make him Lord of all. So Paul combats this view by lifting up Jesus Christ. And over 30 times in just four chapters, he uses the word all over 30 times in this book of four chapters, the word all because it's all in him. Jesus isn't just prominent, he's preeminent. He's not just important, he's of the utmost importance. One time somebody asked me if I was Jesus only as if that was a problem. They said, oh, you're Jesus only, aren't you? I failed to understand what the problem was. It's all in Him. Everything I need is in Jesus. I don't need anything else. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, it's all in Jesus. Everything God is, was, and will be is in Jesus. I don't need anything else. Colossians 2 and 3 Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. Just go through a few uh, verses that talk about how it's all in Him. Speaking of Jesus, it says, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Okay, if we need wisdom, if we need knowledge, all the treasures of these things are hidden in Jesus Christ. We don't have to look anywhere else. It's all in Jesus. All the wisdom. All the knowledge that we need to live life and to be successful in eternal values—you know—we may consult other sources for things that are temporary. But if anything's eternal, it's all in Jesus. You—you you may not find the instructions of how to operate your refrigerator in the Bible, but your refrigerator is not eternal; it's temporary, right? So there's instruction manuals for other things that are temporary. But for anything eternal, this is the manual. And anything else just points us to this. If there's books that bring light to this, that's fine. But this is the only manual we really need. For eternal wisdom and knowledge. Two of my favorite verses in the Bible, Colossians 2, verse 9 through 10. Again, Paul will get to some of these verses in, in future times, but he's... He's warning them, don't be fooled into thinking that there's something to be found elsewhere. Because in Jesus dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The Godhead represents everything God is. Some say the Godhead is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. and, And those are three manifestations of God. Those are three aspects of God that has been revealed to us. But they are the Godhead. And all that Godhead was in the body, Jesus Christ. He filled the body of Christ. All that God is filled the body of Christ. Now, God also dwelt outside of Christ because he dwells in all time and space. But the fullness of everything God is was in Christ. There was nothing that Christ was missing. All of God was in him. Bodily. So again, Christ had a body, but He had the fullness of God inside Him. That's why He was God and man. Because He had a body, like we do, but that body was filled with God, and He never sinned. And because He wasn't born of a human father, He didn't have sin curse upon Him. And verse 10, And you are complete in Him. Again, if everything's in Him, We are complete in Him. We don't have to go outside of Jesus Christ. Everything we need is in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. Again, that word all. That's why we have a a saying that it's kind of a play on words, but He's not Jehovah Junior. Because Jehovah Junior wouldn't have all power. Senior would. But he's not Jehovah Junior. He was Jehovah in flesh. So all that God was. Was inside of him. And he had all power in heaven and earth. Colossians 1. And 16 through 19. Well we'll read that in a little bit. So let's not worry about that actually. Colossians 3.17. Colossians 3.17. And whatsoever you do. In word or deed. Again. If, if someone accused us of doing too much in the name of Jesus. I don't know how they missed this verse. Whatever you do in word or deed. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving things to God. Even the Father by Him. Do all in the name of Jesus. Because when we do it in the name of Jesus. We are giving Him glory and honor. We are doing all unto Him. So Colossians is a book that tells us that all we need is found in Jesus Christ. He's all that we need. we say, he's all that I need? need. Jesus is all that I I need. There's a song that says, I didn't know that Jesus was all that I needed until he was all that I had. Sometimes it takes everything else being stripped away for us to realize, if I just have Jesus, that's enough. I don't really need all this other stuff. It's nice, but it's Jesus that sustains me. So back to Colossians 1. I don't know how many verses we'll get through in the first chapter. We'll just kind of see here. Colossians 1 and 3. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. We need to be in constant prayer for one another. Again, it's much better. There's times we need to talk about problems. There's times we need to talk about situations. And if our desire is to help someone, that's fine but usually we can do a lot more good just praying for someone than talking about them. Be constant in prayer for one another. Verse 4. Paul again saying, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, I've been praying for you always since I heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. This church was a good church because it loved God and it had a love for each other. They loved all saints. Not just the ones they liked or the ones that were easy to get along with. They loved all saints. Verse 5, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Okay, it's the gospel that reveals the hope that awaits us in heaven. Because Jesus lived, He died, and He rose again. That's the gospel. And because He rose again, we know that we have the power of the resurrection applied to our lives when we are filled with the Spirit. And we one day will be resurrected with Him to be with Him forever in our eternal home. That's the hope that's laid up for us in heaven. That we will live with Him for eternity. We can't forget about heaven with everything going on. This world is discouraging. It's frustrating. And if we don't remember heaven, we might lose hope. We might lose heart. We might give up on this journey. So don't lose the hope that is laid up for us in heaven. Verse 6, which is come unto you. How did this hope come to you? How did the gospel come to you? It came to you as it is in all the world. And bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you. Since the day you heard of it and you knew the grace of God in truth. It came unto you as it is unto all the world. And one theologian said that Paul signified the gospel is for all the world. Because these false teachers were not interested in evangelism. They weren't interested in all the world. They were only interested in the people who were living the gospel and leading them astray. They weren't really interested in sinners, but they wanted to lead believers astray. And that sounds a little bit like the work of their father. All liars have a father. He's the father of lies, Satan. And he's not as interested... And people who are lost. Because they are lost. <laughs> he already got them. <laughs> so he doesn't have to focus on them. But he's going to focus on those who are in the light. To extinguish the light. And the next part of the verse I love it says. And bringeth forth fruit. This gospel, ever since you heard it, it brings fruit in you and it produces fruit in your life. And you are fruitful. He is the vine, we are the what? Branches. When we are in Him and He is in us, we will produce fruit with Him as our source. And that's why I believe in us having an increase in our church. Not because of anything in us In our flesh, that is, but because of the Spirit of God that's in us. The message of the gospel works. It doesn't mean everybody's going to believe it or receive it. But for those that will, it will work. And it brings forth fruit. That is, when we truly hear the gospel and believe the gospel, it produces fruit because when we truly believe something, it changes our behavior. So Again, the word belief is just watered down in, the, our, in our context of Christianity. Sometimes people say, I believe, but you never see them do anything to show that they believe. They just say they believe, but there's no difference in their life than those around them that don't believe. You know, I, had, I had a class in college where they were talking about... A sinful lifestyle that's contrary to God's word. That's very obviously contrary. And they want us to teach this to, to uh, children in school. Reading books that elevate this lifestyle and say it's okay to have, you know, two mommies and two daddies and read them books like this. And, and I just spoke up and said, I'm sorry, but as a, a teacher, I would rather quit than do that. And because I said that, our class took extra time and talked all about this stuff. And again, I did not have a bad attitude about it. I just I said, that's just the way I am, because the Lord gave me the understanding to say it. I said, my moral code, I didn't have a Bible in my hand, but that's what I was referring to. I said, my moral code says there are eternal consequences for that lifestyle. How would it be love to tell people that's okay? That wouldn't be love. So that's why I can't say it's okay. It's not because I think I'm better, doesn't because I anything like that. It's because I know there's eternal consequences, and I will never tell anyone they're okay if they are eternally damned. Or in danger of it rather. In hopes that they would repent and find eternal life. And another individual in that class came up to me after the class, after two days of me standing up. As the only one in the class saying anything. And she said. I'm really glad you said something. I'm a pastor's wife. I'm really glad you said something. And again inside me I was like what? Where were you in class? I was facing the firing squad. And you're sitting there. no Little Bo Peep. No, no Pete." And of course, the Lord humbled me and said, "She, that's because you have the Holy Ghost. That's the only reason you can say something." It was only the Spirit inside me that gave me the strength and the wisdom to say something. And she was a pastor's wife, but she didn't have the Spirit alive inside of her, and she couldn't say anything. She believed, but there was no fruit—at least, not in that manner. I'm sure there's other fruit in her life, but not in that. When missionary John Patton was translating the Bible in some islands, there the outer um, Hebrides islands, he was translating the Bible to their language. He had trouble finding a word to translate the concept, believe. Finally, he discovered a word in the Gaelic language that meant, lean your whole weight upon. And he used that. It wasn't just... I think that's true. That's some people's belief. They just think it's true and they think that's enough. I, I believe Jesus lived and died and rose again, but they just have it here. Their life isn't really invested in it. They're not leaning their whole self into it. They're not putting all their weight on it and trusting in it. In a biblical sense, belief means that I totally lean on Jesus Christ and that my life is totally given to Him without reservation. That's belief. And that changes everything. In verse 7 of Colossians 1, Paul continues as his letter says, As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. Again, Epaphras is the one who is ministering there and Finding this church. He said. Who is your faithful minister of Christ. Who also declared unto you. Or excuse me. Verse 8. Who also declared unto us. Your love. How in the spirit. For this cause we also. Verse 9. Since the day we heard it. Since we heard about your love. Since we heard about your faithfulness. We do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Again, we do not cease to pray for you. And where is Paul when he's praying for others? In prison. Paul's sitting in prison for preaching the gospel, and he's praying for other people. He's not there saying, please, 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 please just pray for me. He's saying, I'm here and I'm praying for you. That's selfless love. Amen. Praying for people he has never met. And that's why our, I'm thankful that our church gives to missions. Because we're giving to people that we possibly have never met. That they can be saved. That they can be Fill with the Spirit, baptize in Jesus' name, and live a life with Jesus Christ. We're paying that they can receive by sending others. Obviously, money doesn't make salvation, but it's hard to get from here to there without it. <laughs> it's just the world we live in. So we're being unselfish when we give to Missions. And because of the mass confusion and spiritual deception that is all around us, we need to pray this as well, that people would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. How are people going to do His will if they don't know what His will is? (laughs) Why does the devil keep people out of the Bible so they don't know the will of God? The Bible reveals His will. So people avoid the Bible. The enemy blinds them from the Bible. And not only be to fill with the knowledge of it, but with the wisdom and spiritual understanding to apply that knowledge. So as we read on Sunday, Nikita Khrushchev had a great knowledge of the word. He could quote entire chapters and books of the Bible, but he was an atheist. So he learned the Word, he had knowledge of the Word, but he obviously had no wisdom or spiritual understanding. Otherwise he wouldn't be an atheist. It's important that we're filled with knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And verse 10, when we're filled with that knowledge and wisdom and spiritual understanding, that we can walk worthy of the Lord Unto all pleasing. Doing what's pleasing to Him. And we know Romans 12, 1-2 talks about that. As we offer ourselves a living sacrifice, we learn what His will is. What is pleasing to Him. Being fruitful in every good work. There's that word again. Fruitful. In every good work. And I believe we are growing in this. Those of us who are committed and we are plugged into Christ. We are growing in our fruitfulness. In good works. And we're increasing in the knowledge of God. The more we do for Him, the more He reveals Himself to us. The more we're surrendered to Him and obeying Him, the more He shows us of Himself. He trusts us more to know more about Him. And it's not that God has trust issues. It's just He doesn't... He tells us to do something. And anything He tells us to do, He holds Himself to. And one thing He tells us to do is not cast our pearls before swine. So if He tells us not to do it, you think He's going to do it? No. So what He's saying is, you don't give, you don't give something that's of great worth to someone who thinks it's worthless. The pig doesn't know there's any worth in a the pearl. They eat it like everything else. So as we prove to God that we love Him, and we, we do that by obeying and surrendering to Him, He reveals more of Himself to us, Remember Jesus said it pleased the Father to reveal Himself to these people, but not these people? I'm paraphrasing, but that's what He was saying. It pleased the Father to reveal Himself to these people. But these people over there didn't get it. Because the Father didn't reveal Himself to them because they weren't of the mind and the heart to receive it. They weren't surrendered that's why surrender is the most important thing for people to receive the fullness of God. If they don't surrender, he's not going to give himself. And God's not into one night stands. He's not into people that just want to date and never get married. He said, you, you marry me and I will give myself to you. You give me all of you and I'll give you all of me. You commit to me and I'll commit to you. And verse 11 goes on to say that we are strengthened with all might according to what? His glorious power. And that glorious power leads to all, there's that word all again, patience and long suffering with joyfulness. This is a growth area for me. When we grow in grace, we develop the ability to have patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Again, that's what separates someone who's really surrendered to Christ, someone who's not, just like loving someone who is unlovable. Anybody can love the lovable. You don't have to be filled with the love of God to love the lovable. But to love the unlovable, you've got to have something different inside you. And that's the love of God. To be able to endure difficulty with an attitude of joyfulness takes a supernatural ability that comes from God. All patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Verse 12 giving thanks unto the fathers. Again. Giving thanks. We hear this again. It's important that we are continually praising God in our life. We are continually thanking Him for all of His good things so we don't lose sight of the blessings. We don't start focusing on all the bad things. It may or may not be something we talk about again shortly, but that was the problem with the children of Israel in the wilderness. All they could do was focus on the bad things. So that they wanted to return to being slaves, the things they were crying about for Jesus to take away. They cried and cried and cried, Lord, we don't want to be slaves, we don't want to be slaves. He delivered them, they said, We want to go back to Egypt, we want to go back to Egypt. What happened? They focused on everything that was negative, and they failed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So we give thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Okay, we give thanks to Him because He hath made us partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. We're no longer in the dark, no longer in deception, but now we are equipped with knowledge and power, who hath delivered us, verse 13, from the power of darkness, And hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. We've been called out of darkness into what? His marvelous light. That's why we can give him thanks no matter what's going on in our lives. In whom, verse 14 says, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. We've been redeemed by his blood. And we've been forgiven of our sins. If there's never anything else for me to thank God for, there's the reason right there. Who is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of every creature? Verse 15. Now, the Bible tells us that God is a spirit and that no man hath seen God at any time. So, the essential nature of God is a spirit that is invisible. So in order for us to see him, he had to come in the flesh so that we could interact with someone that we could see and touch and feel and hear from. Image means the exact representation and revelation. The exact representation and revelation. Jesus Christ was the image of the invisible God. And we know that the invisible God was inside him from the previous verse. That's why Jesus said to Philip, you don't know, don't you know me? He that sees me sees the father. And how do you say, show us the father? (laughs) I'm showing you the father. Everything I do and say, I am showing you the father. I and the father are one. He said in another place. Okay, when you've seen me, you've seen the father. He's invisible, but everything I do, I do like He does. I am showing you the Father. I am the express image and revelation of the Father in the flesh. Verse 16, for by Him were all things created. Again, we're talking about the preeminence of Jesus Christ. By Him all things were created that are in heaven, that are in earth. Visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Again, this verse will give people of other religions fits. Because if Jesus, the deity of Christ, again, we know that his body was created in the womb of Mary. But this is talking about his deity. The spirit of the Father that was in him. By him all things were created in heaven and in earth. So if if the spirit of God was something different that would mean that Jesus created the spirit of God. Does that make sense? I won't come, I'm not trying to be abstract. But it's saying this about Jesus, the deity of Jesus. He created all things in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. It's talking about the Spirit of God that was inside of Jesus Christ. So Jesus could not be an inferior being. The flesh of Jesus was, but the Spirit of Jesus was not. It was the same spirit of the eternal God. And I think that's how most people get confused about Jesus. They don't think of him as flesh and God. When Jesus prayed to the Father, he wasn't schizophrenic. But his flesh nature, the man Christ Jesus, had to be submitted to the Spirit. The Father. He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Verse 17. Okay, Jesus is before all things. Obviously, the body of Jesus wasn't before all things because it didn't happen until Mary. It wasn't even before Mary. But the Spirit that was in Jesus was forever. So again, this, I hope that it's making a little bit of sense of why sometimes in Scripture it's talking about the Spirit of Jesus and the flesh of Jesus. Okay, when Jesus got tired, that wasn't the Spirit. The Spirit is eternal and it doesn't get tired. But the flesh did. So the, the flesh of Jesus got tired and slept, but the Spirit of Jesus gave rest. The flesh of Jesus got hungry. The Spirit of Jesus fed 5,000. The flesh of Jesus prayed. The Spirit of Jesus answers all prayer. Okay, you can go down that list a long time and you can preach a really fiery message with it. You've got to understand Jesus was fully God and fully man. And by him all things consist. That means by him all things are held together. That word basically means glue. He is the glue of all things. That's why when our life is falling apart, Jesus can put it back together again. Even Humpty Dumpty, if he would have just gone to Jesus. He went to the king's men and the king's horses, but they couldn't help him. But if Humpty Dumpty would have went to Jesus... He could have been put back together again. And I don't know if, how much stock we should put into this. It's just kind of cool. I'm not saying it's scripture. But you may have heard about something that's a protein molecule called laminin. It's a cell adhesion that is within the human body. It's like rebar of the human body. It holds things together. It's the steel bars they put in concrete to hold the foundation of the building. This protein holds our membranes together. Not these brains, but like membranes, all throughout your body. It's the glue of the human body, and look what it's shaped like. Cross. It's a biological diagram of laminate. Like I said, I'm not saying it's Bible, but it's kind of cool. The glue that holds everything in the human body together This is the molecule structure shaped like a cross. Because Jesus holds us together. Verse 18, I'm almost done here. He is the head of the body, the church. Again, anybody who's involved with the church... At the most is an under-shepherd because he is the great shepherd. That's why Paul said in another place, he said, follow me as I what? Follow Follow Christ. If I'm not following Christ, you don't have to follow me. But as I'm following Jesus, follow me. That's a picture of discipleship. I follow Jesus and I help others find him as well. That's discipleship in a nutshell. Follow me as I follow Christ. Because he is the head of the body of the church. Who is the beginning? He started the church. He's the firstborn from the dead. He was the first one to be resurrected from the dead. That in all things he might have preeminence. It's Jesus, right? He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. That in all things he might have preeminence. That he might have first rank. And greatest influence is what that word means. He would be ranked number one and he would have the most influence in the church. One person said, despite all of our efforts to keep him out, God intrudes. The life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities. A virgin's womb and an empty tomb. He entered in a virgin's womb and he left an empty tomb. Two impossibilities. Jesus entered our world through a door marked no entrance. Okay, Because normally you can't enter the door of birth without two people working together. There's no entrance in a virgin birth. And he left through a door marked no exit. You normally do not exit the tomb. Once you are buried in the ground, you remain. That is without the help of Jesus Christ. He entered a door marked no entrance and left a door marked no exit. He has preeminence. For it pleased the Father, verse 19, that in Him should all fullness dwell. So again, the Father, the eternal Spirit of God, it pleased Him to put all fullness inside of Jesus Christ. And the reason why we refer to Him as the Son in His humanity is because Jesus was not the Son of Joseph. He was the Son of God, right? The Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit moved on the Virgin Mary and caused her to have a child. So if you think the Father and the Holy Spirit are different, the Holy Spirit is actually the Father. Because there is no difference. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit Are all the same God. And He told us His name is Jesus. And verse 20: having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. So He came as Himself to reconcile things unto Himself. By Him I say, whether they be things in heaven, or excuse me, things in earth, things in heaven. He came to reconcile all things to himself. He came as himself to reconcile things unto himself. He didn't send anybody else but he came in the flesh as himself to reconcile things unto himself. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 3 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 3 we're going to read through 6. 1 Timothy 2.3 For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Who's our Savior? It's Jesus Christ. Who will have all men to be saved. It's His desire and His will that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's His desire. That's why we try to tell everyone. Now here's the revelation. There is one God. Again, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. And one mediator, watch. Who's the mediator between God and man? The man, Christ Jesus. So you have God and you have man in this separate state. And God comes inside of a man and he stands in the gap. The man, Christ Jesus, was the mediator between God and man. Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And that's the great mystery of godliness. That God was manifested in the flesh. That's what's a mystery. How could God come as a man? That's mysterious. But the fact that he came is not mysterious. He came. So the mystery is not who he was, but how he did it. He's <laughs> God. Exactly. You just give it to him. It's like, He's God. I'm not going to understand everything he does. Verse 21. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Okay? When he says you, he's talking to that whole church and he's talking to every one of us. We were sometimes alienated and enemies in our mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. We were alienated from him because we had a carnal mindset. And a carnal mind is an enemy of God. Our own thinking is an enemy of God in our flesh. Our carnal mindset. That's why we have to be delivered not only from sin and the world, but from self. That's why we can't lean to our own understanding. But in all our ways, acknowledge Him. That is, know Him, follow Him, and seek for His understanding. And if we do, He will answer We'll try to move quickly. I don't know if we'll get through or not. Get close to the end of the book if you can't tell. Is it okay? You want to try to finish tonight or do you want to wrap it up? I'm not going to take much longer, but. Okay. Okay. All right. We'll just keep on going then. Verse 22. Again, how did he reconcile us? Verse 22 says, In the body of his flesh, through death. Again, there had to be flesh because God can't die. <laughs> He's eternal, no beginning, no ending he was before all things he created all things, so in the body of his flesh, through death, so he could present us holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. this is one again, I love Colossians and this is another great verse because I love the idea of being able to stand before God unblameable means without blemish, unreprovable means there can be no thing called to account. We cannot be accused of anything. Blameless. We get to stand before an unblameable and unreprovable because of His death on the cross. Not because we never did anything wrong, but because He died for us and shed His blood. Now, there's if statements in the Bible, and here's a big if. Verse 23. How can we stand unreprovable, unblamable in His sight? If, we've got to read all this together. If we continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Okay, so we have to continue in the faith. We can't be moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. We can't be moved away from the faith. We have to continue in the faith. And there was a great point on Sunday in our Sunday school class about God is not, He never forsakes us once He fills with His Spirit. He's always here trying to work in our lives. So how could we be lost after that? Because God is still just. And if we don't confess sin, if we don't repent of sin, if we try to get into heaven with all this unforgiven sin, guess what? He's going to see the sin because we haven't been asking for the blood to be applied. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean He's not there trying to work. It doesn't mean He's not there trying to get us to respond and repent and find forgiveness. But if we ignore Him and we move away from the faith, we're going to stand before God with sins that are seen. And if there's sins that are seen, God cannot ignore it. But if we confess and forsake sin, there's nothing to be seen because it's washed. It's it's gone. See the difference? And if God comes and we didn't repent for the last five minutes, I don't think we're going to be lost. But if we haven't repented for a few years or a few months or a few, I don't know. I wouldn't gamble. (laughs) I want to every day get these sins under the blood. So I'm clean again. That's why every time we repent we should start rejoicing. Right? Because when that sin is gone I'm clean, I'm pure before him. The moment I confess it he's faithful just to forgive it. And He cleanses me from all unrighteousness. So I've got to confess it. Be not moved away. Colossi was in a region that had earthquakes. Moved away can mean earthquake stricken. If you're not on a good foundation, an earthquake comes, what's going to happen? You're going to be rubble. <laughs> so be on a good, good foundation. I need to hurry. Verse 24. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Paul suffered for Christ. He rejoiced in his sufferings for them. Peter said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus. Crucify me upside down. This is not in the Bible, but Christian tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down and he counted it a joy. Verse 25, wherefore, or whereof I am made a minister, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God. This word dispensation means the management of a household or an administration. Paul saying, God has given me this office to operate in, to give you the gospel, and it's given to me for you. God is not empowering me and giving me spiritual gifts and authority for me. He's given it to me for you. And I'm here to serve you. It's not about me. That's something we need to understand. Verse 26, we're almost done. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. I'm so glad we live in this age. Because what was a mystery for ages and generations in the Old Testament is now known to the saints. Verse 27 tells us what that is. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. The mystery from ages and generations all through the Old Testament Was pointing towards Christ in you. That the Spirit of God that was in Christ comes to dwell inside you. The Holy Spirit, the hope of glory. Verse 28 Whom we preach. Again, we can't preach too much about Jesus, (laughs) we can't preach too much about being filled with the Holy Spirit. I've been told before that too. Man, you just preach too much about the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. I guess you have. To, if you want to go to a church, they talk less about the Spirit of God, then I guess that's your, that's your choice. But we're not going to quit talking about the Spirit of God. That's the hope of glory. That's who we preach. Warning every man. And teaching every man in all wisdom. And that's important. That we not just have the knowledge, but we need the wisdom of how to portray the knowledge. How to communicate the knowledge. Have the right spirit, the right attitude, the right words. And that takes wisdom and understanding. Not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. That we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Our goal is not to win an argument, but to present them perfect in Christ Jesus. We're not trying to just convince people of our way of life to say that we've converted them. But we're trying to present them perfect in Christ Jesus. And we need wisdom. God, give us wisdom to communicate the truth of the gospel. I want to be able to go up to someone in the coffee shop and communicate the gospel in a way they can understand it. And every person is different. Because all these people have different walks of life, different religions, different philosophies, different backgrounds. So Lord, help me to communicate your word and your gospel in a way that people can receive it. Again, doesn't mean they all will, but give me the wisdom to give them the best opportunity. And finally, verse 29, so we actually made it through. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working Which worketh in me mightily. Paul says, I labor in this. I live this. I do great works in communicating the gospel, but not I. It is Christ within me. It is the Spirit of God within me that gives me the ability, the strength, the grace, the mercy, the compassion. To do what I do. And that's why we have to stay connected to the vine. Because just knowing the gospel. Is not nearly enough. And we'll finish with Ephesians 3.20. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. We'll finish with this verse. A verse we know well. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly. Either one of those words would have been enough, but Paul said, I'm going to put both of them there. Exceeding abundantly above all. Exceedingly abundantly above all. I think that covers everything. That we ask or even think. Greater than our imagination. Greater than words we can form to to ask. According to what? What? The power that worketh in us. Not according to my brain or my, my abilities alone. God gave me those abilities, but those abilities work in harmony and they're best fulfilled when His Spirit is working behind them. He'll use your gift to minister, but your gift to minister will increase greatly as it's in harmony with the power of the Spirit inside you. Someone can get up and sing a great song and be, make people emotional. In you. But if they sing under the anointing, it takes it to a whole nother level. Because that's the reason the gift was given. To bring worship and glory to God and lead others into a place of worship. Amen. Why don't we stand? I tried to move quickly through that. Hopefully it wasn't too quickly, but my goal was to get through chapter one. We did it. We made it somehow. And uh, I didn't even see anybody fall asleep. So that's pretty awesome. Even Maurice stayed up. (laughs) Who has to get up real early in the morning. So sometimes he might fall asleep. Let's just, as we close tonight, just ask the Lord to help us And something we heard about tonight. Again, we can't digest all this, but maybe there's something that really stuck out to you. Let's just ask the Lord to help us take it with us, apply it to our lives. Lord, we're thankful for the ministry of Paul in the letter he wrote to the Colossian church. That we have this to read today. That helps us to know how to live as Christians. Writing to people that have already been saved, already been baptized, wrote the Holy Ghost, given their life to you. But he's saying this is how you continue in the faith. This is how you walk in Jesus Christ. You need to understand these things about Jesus so you don't fall into false doctrine. So you don't get led away from the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The salvation we have in Jesus Christ. And help us in this day when there's so much political correctness and everybody's trying to say their way is right and All this stuff that's going on in our world, help us not to apologize or back up on the fact that we are followers of Jesus Christ. That we are alive because of you and we are made alive in you and your spirit came to live inside of us. And we want everybody to experience that. We don't want to just have it as a doctrine, as a man-made thing, but we want them to understand you came, lived died and rose again so that You could pour out Your Spirit on anyone who would lift their hands and ask You for Your Spirit. And You desire that this church would be filled with people that are filled with Your Spirit. Lord God, that this place would be bursting at the seams and too small because there are so many people coming and being filled with Your Spirit, being transformed by You, being filled with joy and peace and love. And Lord, the attacks of the enemy and, and people trying to, to, to do other things. Help it not distract us from the gospel that you have shown to us. That you gave us through the apostles, Lord. That you gave us in the word of God. We're not in competition with anybody else. Help us not to have any bad attitude towards anyone else. Because it's not about that. It's about following your word. It's about learning to follow you, Jesus. And not let anybody lead us away from you. We need you. We want to be filled with all of your wisdom. All of your knowledge. Spiritual understanding. All of your power. All of your mind. All of your peace. All of your joy. We want these things in our lives. Filled with these things. So that the things of this life cannot drag us down. Cannot defeat us. And cannot overcome us but filled with You, filled with Your Spirit, surrendered to Your Spirit, and growing in grace. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity tonight to come and hear Your Word. And I feel like there's faith that's here. As we have heard Your Word, faith has increased in those of us who are hearing Your Word tonight. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Help people in our church to fall in love with Your Word and not be moved away from Your Word, to not get so caught up in entertainment, not get so caught up in the things of this life that we're not hearing Your Word because without Your Word, we will lose our faith. But help us to listen and read Your Word, to apply Your Word to our lives. Lord, on this room, I feel like, is filled with ministers of the Gospel filled with men and women who are going to grow in you more and more as the days go on. And should you tarry, you're going to use us to bring many to you. And we're going to point them to you, Jesus. Not just religion, not just ideas and thoughts in our head, not just philosophies to discuss over a cup of coffee in a library somewhere, but the Spirit of God living inside of us that will quicken us and will make us strong. Help us not to back down, Lord, from that doctrine, that teaching that we have received in your word, but to stand strong on your word, because that's what saves us. That's what brings us to a greater place of joy and peace in you. And Lord, we're not again, we pray for all the Christians in this community We pray for everyone who is trying their best to follow You. Ourselves included. We pray that they would be filled with Your Spirit. So that they could come to know You in a greater way. Not saying they don't know You. Not saying they're not trying to follow You. But that they would be filled with the Holy Ghost. Just like the disciples of John. So that they go to another level in You. So that Your Spirit is more alive in them. And they're more surrendered to You, God. Let people that come to our church... Be filled with your spirit, God. Filled with your love and your joy and your peace. We're asking you for these things, knowing that you are willing and you are able, Lord, as we surrender to you, Lord. And unify us as a church, Lord. We're not going to be unified by just following people, but we're going to be unified by your spirit. The word of God says that in Ephesians 4, we are unified by your spirit. The Lord, as the enemy's trying to, sh- to shake what he can shake and he's trying to pull apart what he can pull apart, put us together. Closer than ever, as brothers and sisters in Christ, husbands and wives, parents and children, put us together. Keep us together. And if there's unsaved loved ones in this room again, if there's spouses or children that are far from you, or parents that are far from you, help us try to minister to them with wisdom. So that we can be united in your spirit and we can be close together. By you, all things consist, Lord. Put us together, keep us together, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In Jesus' name.